This podcast is brought to you by Upcase. Want to become the sort of developer top rail shops like ThoughtBot fight over? Join Upcase today to get the pro training, insider knowledge, access to ThoughtBot developers, and a community of like-minded learners you need. Hone core skills like Vim, Tmux, Git, and Rails by visiting upcase.com slash half off to get 50% off your first month of Upcase. Let's get that junior out of your title and start leveling up today with Upcase. Giant Robots Smashing Into Other Giant Robots. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Giant Robots Smashing Into Other Giant Robots podcast. My name is Ben Orenstein, and I'm here today with Steli Efti. Hey, Steli. Hey. How's it going? Uh, well, I'm excited. Good. So, Steli, you are the CEO and co-founder of Closed.io, uh, but it seems like the one-word bio that I see you choose for yourself often is Hustler. Yes. That's, that's, that's an excellent, uh, excellent description, I think, based on what I've, I've, I've seen of you in my research. Why? Why is that? Why would you say that? <laughs> uh, it's it's clear you're kind of just always at it. Um, when I went to start research, I had bumped into you already uh, before this podcast. But when I started uh, researching you in depth, there's just blog posts and podcasts and interviews and you know just content and stuff and you teaching everywhere, all over the place. Uh, it's clear that you are a big believer in teaching, which is I'm I'm a huge fan of. Absolutely. I love teaching. And, you know, when we started uh, Close.io, we're in a very super competitive um, software category, mm-hmm. maybe the most competitive one, uh, CRM. Uh, and we quickly, you know, when we looked at the market, we knew we wouldn't out-advertise anybody, we wouldn't out-SEO anyone. Mm-hmm. But uh, we had this hunch that we could out-teach our competition. Mm-hmm. Our competition, and, and so far, we've been right. So I love to teach. Uh, it's it comes natural to me. I'm passionate about sharing what I learned with others, mm-hmm. and uh, a, a, and it's been working really well for the software side of things as well as a marketing tool. So it's kind of a brilliant thing. Mm-hmm. And that's this is that's like straight out of the playbook for our company Thapa as well. Like we we give away just a ton of teaching. The stuff we learn. There's like the the repeated phrase at the Thapa office. Like, can this be a blog post? Can this go somewhere else outside the company and value other people? Uh, and eventually, all that knowledge turns into you know useful things for for everybody. I love that. Yeah. Uh, so I have read a lot of your stuff. I've watched you on video a lot. I've heard your interviews. And one of the things that stands out to me is that you have a lot of energy. And I was wondering if you do specific things to try to maximize that energy, or is this just kind of how you wake up in the morning, you're, you're at this speed? No. So, so one thing to, to clarify, uh, uh, especially for your audience as well, is that I'm not like an extrovert 100% of my day or mm-hmm. life. Right. So that's obviously the, the side that most people see of me is like the, my public persona. Mm-hmm. And it's not an act like I'm not pretending to be passionate. I'm not pretending to, to feel that way. But it's just that I have two sides to me. I'm not a one dimensional uh, character, which is like, most people are not one dimensional. Um, and what, what that means is that I am a passionate person. And when I when I talk about things that are near and dear to my heart, when I talk about the hustle, entrepreneurship, when I talk about operating outside your comfort zone and, and overcoming your own fears and hesitations. These things are things and topics I'm passionate about. So it's very easy for me to talk myself into kind of a, a high energy level. Mm. Um, and I also know that, you know, when there's an audience, when there's people listening, when we, when the two of us talk, if we were in a coffee shop, when we started talking after a while, we get more and more animated and excited. Mm-hmm. But when I know that there's, there are more people that are listening, so it's a, a bigger, amount of responsibility because we're managing or we at our at our hands is a lot of people's time totally yeah so i feel i feel a, a responsibility to make that time worthwhile right and make sure that people are not just entertained 
but but that people are getting something from it delivered in a way that makes them take action. Um, so I do a lot of things, obviously, to try to become better, like managing my own energy. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's very easy for me to be super high energy when I'm on stage or when I'm presenting something. Mm-hmm. But I but but it takes a lot of like just brute force. So I'm not as elegant as I could be about it. So you know, after I speak for an hour on stage, I'm pretty tired afterwards, and I can keep it up for like a day or two. But then I kind of feel it, mm-hmm. and and all I want to do is not talk to a human being for a whole day. Yeah. So. Um, this is so, so, so to answer your question, I'm not always like that. It's easy for me when I'm passionate about a subject to be really high energy. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and it's also just to give you a little bit of background information of how I arrived at this style is that I used to try to do public speaking um, based on this template of like professional public speaking that I've observed. There are these, I don't know if you know these people that are just like, super calculated in their body language and their tonality. Every move is pre-calculated and premeditated. And I thought that's great public speaking. So uh, for a while when I was doing that, I was very much like a professional speaker. Mm -hmm. Um, And I thought I'm awesome. And then I had a good friend of mine uh, once tell me that he hates when I do public speaking. And I was like heartbroken. I was like, what? I thought I'm amazing at Mm -hmm. this. And he was like, yeah, I mean, yeah, you do the whole thing and everything is cool. But but you're not a real person. Like I don't get – like what I love about you is your raw energy and your enthusiasm and your passion. And when you're on stage, you're just this like – you're just this – I don't know. This it, it, You lose your humanity. You're just this perfect person and whatever. Every sentence is premeditated. Mm. And that really hurt at first, right? Um, but then it made me think and, and uh, the next big um, – Speaking gig I got, mm-hmm. I decided not to do that, and I decided what do I really, what what is really important for the audience? Like, let's not make this about me and me trying to be perfect and creating like a public speaking persona that I'm proud of. But what if I put the audience in, before me and in, in front of me? What do I want them to get out of it? What is important to them? And uh, that was the first talk where I just went in much less prepared than I usually am. And mm. I went in with the intention to make people take action because I thought that would be the most valuable thing I could do. Totally. And that was the the best talk I'd given based on the response and reception of the audience. And since then, I've been like, all right, let's just do – let's just put the audience in front of me. Let's be raw and honest and passionate and let's not worry too much about – was every sentence great and was my body language always perfect? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how, how I arrived at how I do uh, most of my teaching today. Yeah. And how awesome to have a friend that would give you that honest feedback, right? I love to surround myself with people that that are brutally honest and punch me in the face verbally every single day. I'm not going to lie. It's not like I enjoy it in the moment. Sure. I don't. And I, I And I am inconvenienced by it. I have a lot of moments where I'm like, why is everybody so difficult in my life, right? But but it, it is the kind of feedback I need to get better. And I, I love to surround myself with people that just are not buying into the hype, are not looking at me as somebody that whatever knows anything better or is greater at anything. Like I'm considered a sales guru in Silicon Valley and our most junior engineer here just a few weeks ago, I presented some big idea for how we should be doing sales. And he was just sitting there looking at me and went, that makes no sense. That's a stupid idea. And I was like, why is everybody so difficult at this company? You know, and I explained it again. And he was like, but you didn't really you didn't really tell me how this makes sense. We always like one plus one 
clearly doesn't equal four, so I don't get the math here. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, ah, oh, God, he's right. It sucks. <laughs> you know. Uh, and 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 I lo- I love to have friends like that. I have to have uh, I love to have people in the company that uh, that that I'm building that are like that. I love to surround myself with smarter people that I am, and that are not afraid to just tell me that that you know what I talk is bullshit when I have bad ideas. Totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you we well, started touching on it, but I think we should uh do just give people a little bit of context about your background. Uh sure. do you want to just do like 30 seconds on like the elastic sales into close IO history? Yes, okay. So current company history, uh we started as elastic sales. The idea was very simple. We wanted to offer B2B startups, uh specifically in Silicon Valley that were venture funded and outsourced sales team on demand. Right. And the overall vision was to be like the AWS of sales where you like salespeople would be like service and you could spin them off, you know, scale them up and down no matter how you need them. The reality was not as, you know, as close to that metaphor. Uh, But we did uh, do sales for over 200 venture backed startups, um, A to Z, figuring out how to sell, who to sell to and doing the actual sales from the lead gen part to to actually closing the deal. Mm -hmm. And in the process of doing that for so many different companies, we learned a ton about sales and developing sales models for new products and new markets. And we developed an internal piece of software, Close.io. Mm-hmm. Originally, uh, never intended to be a product that we would launch. We always just called it the secret sauce, kind of as an internal tool. We built software for two main reasons. Number one, because I hated all the sales software that was out there and didn't want to use it myself. And because two of my co-founders were technical. So we had kind of engineering resources at our disposal. So we thought, why don't we just build this technology that's going to allow our salespeople to be a lot more productive, a lot happier, and that's going to allow us to scale this massive sales force. That was the whole idea behind building software. Mm -hmm. Um, And eventually, after a year or so, we really started having a point of view. We really, the software really started becoming a strong product. And eventually we decided in January 2013 to release the product. It's kind of a small side project um, with a tiny team on it. And we had lots and lots of patience. We thought this is such a crowded market. It'll take forever to get traction with it. And uh, we were wrong. It, it grew a lot faster than expected. And within a year was a bigger business than the services business. And we shut that business down and fully focused on the software since 2014. Mm-hmm. Perfect. I wanted to get that context. Uh, it's, it's interesting to hear that you had those technical co-founders and that enabled you to do different things. Uh, I was watching a talk of yours and you said that uh, engineers, you think engineers make great salespeople yeah. because they know how to ask a lot of questions and like get down into details of things. Yeah, um, and I, I just loved your example of, um, or that that point of, sales is mostly about sort of figuring out if you can help people. It's not about impressing them with things. It's about trying to figure out like, does your need match with what I have? Uh, and engineers are good at that because we're used to taking like an amorph an amorphous thing like I need email marketing, and then asking like thirty questions about like, wait, what do you mean by email marketing? And really digging down into that, and you're like, that's sales. That's it. And I kind of had like a light bulb moment when I heard that. Yeah, I think that a lot of times, like I meet tons of people that start the conversation with me saying, Steli, sell me something or sell me clothes aisle, right? Oh, Jesus, yeah. and, I, and I go, you, <laughs> right? First of all, let me figure out if you need what I have. Like mm-hmm. my, the, the, the way that I sell is very simple. There's two parts to it. First, I try to figure out, can I help you and can you help me, right? Can I help you means... I'm qualifying you. I'm trying to figure out what are your needs? What are your problems? What's your workflow? What's your decision-making process? Like, what do you guys need? And is our software truly the right product Mm -hmm. to serve that need? Mm -hmm. That's my first question. I don't even want to know anything. I don't care how much money you have. I don't care about anything if I don't know if I can help you. 
if once I'm convinced I can help you, now I'm trying to figure out, can you help me too, right? Do you have the money, the budget, the decision-making power, a timeline that makes sense for me, mm -hmm. the right expectations? If I can help you and you can help me, then it's easy. Selling is easy. Mm -hmm. There's one little caveat that I discovered over the last few weeks that I haven't been talking about enough, and I'll start talking about this on this very show. All right. Which is that engineers are great at asking questions, not just on the surface level, but really going deep, right? That's what, what I, where I think engineers have a huge advantage versus salespeople that traditionally are not as good as asking questions, not as good as really digging deep, satisfied with answers that are not really answers, hmm. jumping to the uh, to the selling part or to the closing part too quickly hmm. though truly understand the customer. I think engines are really good at the exploring, asking questions, going into depth and detail, truly getting it part. But then there's one more step. Once you know that you can help them and they can help you, once you know it's a good fit, all you have to do at that point is obviously you tell them, hey, I'm convinced we need to work together, right? And, and that part is the closing part. And in the closing part, I find that engineers tend to be weak. Mm -hmm. In that closing part, all I want you to think about is that at that point, you're not asking anymore. Now you're telling. Mm. Like now it's not a debate. It's not a discussion we're having. Once I know that I can help you and you can help me, I'm telling you what we're doing. Like I'm not asking you. It's not maybe we want to – it's we're doing this. We're doing A, B, and C. And the, the framework that I want people to think of is a good doctor or a good parent. Mm. Like somebody that has – that comes from a friendly place, right? It's not an asshole, not, not a bulldog, not somebody that's bullying you into decisions. So it takes that time to truly understand you, figure out what's needed. But then once I know I'm not your friend – I'm not your peer. I'm your doctor. I'm an expert. I'm going to tell you what to do. I'm mm. not going to go, maybe you should take care. Maybe you should start stop You know, smoking 20 packs a day if you have this lung issue. I don't know. I mean, the research, there's still research out there that says something else. And I don't know if that's too inconvenient for your life. So I'm just providing information. No, I'm telling you, you need to stop right now or mm -hmm. you're going to die. Mm -hmm. There's no options. Let's stop, right? I'm, I'm, I have clarity, I have conviction, and I give you direction. And I think that that's the, that's the shift where salespeople are typically really good at, or some of them at least, and engineers struggle, hmm. right? Because engineers don't like to be told what to do typically. Mm -hmm. So uh, they like to do their own research, figure it out on their, on, on their own, mm -hmm. and work with peers. Mm -hmm. So that's why they don't like to do that with others. But I think that if you think about a good doctor, if you think about a good parent, a relationship that's not equal, right? Your customer will never know as much about your industry and your product than you do. It's not an equal relationship. Mm -hmm. They come with certain needs, but you are truly the expert. Once you figure it out, once you figure out what they need, and I think engineers can be brilliant at that, all you have to do is tell them, you need to buy this. This is the right thing for you. Mm -hmm. Let's get going. Like all it takes is just for you to tell them, hey, I think this is a perfect fit. Let's go. I think you should buy Hmm. Right and not and not make this a question like right. make it a statement. And the important thing I think is that that comes at the end, right? That's when you know yeah. there's a fit and that that things are you know this is going to be beneficial for both of you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then and then at least I feel then it's not that hard to be to have conviction, right? Mm -hmm. Then it's not that hard to tell somebody because you spend all the time in the world to figure it out. And you didn't just rush through through that process. So you ask all the questions. You truly understood their requirements. And at the end, if you think, you know what? We can do this. And we can do this better than the other products in the market. Mm -hmm. It's your responsibility to help them make that decision. It's your responsibility to help them 
and tell them, hey, yes, we can help. Let's do this. Yeah. It's, so I'm having that thing that happens when I talk to someone that has a ton of experience in something, which is like, it sounds incredibly simple. It sounds like, yeah. oh, like, you know, I'm going to ask a handful of questions, make sure it's right, and then I'm going to tell them to buy it, and then boom, like, I'm going to make tons of money. Yes. Uh, so so <laughs> what, what are we glossing over? Where does it actually break down in practice? I see, I, It's beautiful that you asked that question, right? I love it. So I don't think that business is complicated. I think business is simple. I think it, it's us people, humans that are making it complex and complicated. And it's not because of rational reasons, but because of emotional reasons. Again, engineers, I think, tend to think of themselves as less emotional, more rational hmm. uh, people, but you're still a human being and you do have a ton of emotions. You're just coping with them in different ways. So I think that what makes this difficult is not anything that's strategic. I think what's make, what makes this difficult is the emotional side of things, hmm. mm-hmm. is the discomfort you feel asking one more question when you already asked three and you mm. the person is giving you answers that are non-answers right hey um you know that email you, you need an email tool tell me about this a little bit more what exactly do you mean by an email tool well something that sends email cool is it one to many more like for a newsletter what's kind of the 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 the, the you know workflow the use case well you know there's many use cases Okay, so, um, you know, what other tools have you looked at that might be, well, plenty, right? So I've asked a few questions now. I haven't gotten anything. Now this whole just ask questions and then sell them, now this becomes difficult. Right. But what is difficult about this? It's not difficult. Like you haven't gotten any answers yet. Hmm. That's not that tough. So you have to figure out a way to get real answers. So how do you do that, right? Now the, the hard part here is – overcoming the fear of pissing somebody off, mm. right? That's really, that's really it. So what I would do is I'm just honest with people. I would just ask them at this point, hey, help me out here. I'm struggling to truly understand your needs. I get that you want to do email, but I can imagine that there's it's still too broad of a scope and I need, I need help to figure out what exactly you want to do because depending on your use case, we might be the perfect tool or the absolute wrong tool for you. Mm-hmm. I'm doing a bad job asking questions here. So help me out. How, what exactly do you guys need? Right? So just doing that is not difficult, but it's emotionally hard because it's risky. Yeah. It's interesting to me, uh, like looking through the Close.io blog, uh, how many of the articles are actually dealing with emotions, either on yeah. your side or the side of the person that you're talking to? Like, how do you deal with, you know, getting no's all the time? Or how do you follow up without being annoying or feeling, feeling like you're being annoying? Uh, like you have the daily uh, motivation quotes and things like that. Like it's kind of all about managing the emotions on, on both sides. Yeah, I, I do. Th- I do honestly think that, you know, 80 percent of this is, is managing your own emotions. It's like if you if I'm not an expert in fit or fitness or health. Right. Not at all. But if for most people like my secrets to like fitness and health are like eat broccoli and work out, like just eat healthy and move. <laughs> It's not that complicated. Why do we have a million books, a million workouts, a million diets, a million different philosophies to doing things? I believe is because most humans look at the simple answer to the, the these questions and go, I don't want to do that. Hmm. I don't feel like doing that. That's not fun. I'm hmm. afraid of it. I'm discomforted by it. So give me an answer that seems more fun, more exciting, more motivating. Mm-hmm. That's what, what it's all about. So, so tactics, 20% of our teaching is like 
what to do and how to do it, the technical part. But you're right. A huge amount of my teaching is how do you overcome your own fear, your own uh, hesitations, your own doubts, because that's what's stopping people. I'm telling people every day, like we're talking to people every day on how to tactically improve something in their business. But then when I check back with them, the reasons they haven't implemented these are usually – yeah, I don't know. We were maybe doubting that this could maybe not work. Like it's all emotional. Yeah, I mean that that's actually kind of the the motivation behind that question I asked you uh, at the top of this episode about uh, managing your energy. It's because it seems like you need to have a lot of energy reserves to do sales because you're dealing with rejection a lot. Yeah, I do think sales and entrepreneurship are very closely tied in in that respect that. You know, it is a roller coaster, no matter how great you are. Engineering, not quite as, right? Engineering, the beautiful thing is that you can scope out something you want to build and then you go and build it. And not that it's not hard to do, not that you don't have days that you don't feel like it or you have a hard time getting into the flow or you have a problem you can't solve. But you want to build something, you go, you build it. With sales and entrepreneurship overall, you might be doing all the right things, but your results are not going to be the same every single day. And you're going to have highs and lows and days where you're crushing it and days where things just don't go your way. The only thing you 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 have power over what you do, but you don't have full control over what comes back as a result, mm-hmm. not all the time. And I think those highs and lows tend to mess with people's heads, right? It makes people emotionally unstable. That's why one of my favorite quotes of Warren Buffett's is that what he's looking for in great CEOs is emotional stability. Hmm. Like that's so powerful. It's not intelligence, it's not being shrewd or sharp or being this or that emotional stability how do you deal with the massive up and down swings and how do you cope with it on a daily basis are you still able to manage your emotions and make good rational decisions in very tough times how would you uh, rate your own abilities in that area you know, it's it's been growing. Uh, I, I think it's been a, a lifelong journey. Uh, I think for the, my first like decade of being an entrepreneur and, and doing sales, I think I was really bad at it. I was terrible at it. And it was the the looking back the the biggest limiting factor to my career. The reason why I haven't accomplished a lot more, I haven't created a lot more value in the world, uh, was that I wasn't in charge of my own emotions. And what I tended to do was I tended to like. Fight it when I when I felt depressed, when I felt uh, afraid. I tended to try to suppress that emotion, and all it did it it fueled it to the degree where. Uh, and I've talked about this before, where you know I would wake up one morning and feel slightly depressed, and then I, I would have a call, or, or like a podcast interview, like this one. Yep. And I'd be like, uh, I don't feel like doing this. I'm probably going to do a bad job. Let me just reschedule. It's nothing bad will happen if I real. Let's not do it on Tuesday. We'll do it on Thursday. And then I would cancel that that or reschedule that meeting or call. And that would make me feel even worse. Yeah. And that would then tend to my next thing being canceled. And my one thing email I needed to really write that was kind of difficult or critical to write uh, not being written. And that just turned a bad moment into a bad day and a bad day into a really bad week. And I had a lot of bad weeks. Mm. You know, I would have these brilliant weeks where I created magic. And then two weeks after that, I'd have like a whole week of doing nothing, mm. essentially. And these ups and downs really, really hindered my my ability to create value and really be productive. Um, I've become a lot better. So the, the past three years have been a, a real turnaround for me in like unlocking some keys in gaining control of all my my own emotions. But I think it's going to be a lifelong journey. I don't think sure. I'm, I'm 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 there yet. I constantly try to become a better and better master of it. Were there any uh, key tools you used to get better at that? Was it meditation or you know talking to people, getting coaching and advice, and what was it? 
Yeah, so the, a number of things. So for for the past five years, I, I've started implementing daily rituals hmm. um, to a much larger degree, degree that I had before. Uh, so meditating daily is one. Um, I'm starting my day with asking myself five. I have an Evernote a folder, and every day I start asking myself five very basic questions, and I write down the answers, and it, it kind of creates clarity for my day. Questions hmm. like, what am I grateful for? What's the one thing, if I only could do one thing today? And then I ask myself, is this too difficult to do, right? Is there something simple I could do that's really meaningful today? Huh. Things like that. So th- that started making a difference uh, over the past uh, uh uh, four years. But then the really big turning point for me was when I heard this quote and I heard it, I had heard it before, but it was just the right time, the right mind, you know, and it just clicked, which was, you know, the difference between the hero and the coward is not that the hero doesn't feel fear and the coward is afraid. Um, they are both afraid. The difference between the two is the hero acts despite her fear versus the coward being, you know, stopped by it. And when I heard that, I don't know why, but it kind of clicked and it made me realize that. I don't have to not feel that emotion. Mm. I don't have to not be depressed or not be afraid or not be hesitant. I can feel that way. These emotions will always be there. I can't fight them and I can't be ashamed of them. What I have to do is I have to figure out a way to to take action despite them. Mm-hmm. And I started this internal mantra of like, do it anyways. Mm-hmm. Right. So So now when I wake up and I have these moments, wake up and I'm depressed and I'm like feeling just shitty, right, for one reason or another. And I'm having this call coming up and I go, ah, oh, maybe I should just cancel this. Like I have this inner voice, ah, oh, maybe I should just, what's the big deal? Instead of Tuesday, let's do it Thursday, da, 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 da. I have this other, this inner mantra that starts that goes, do it anyways. And then I go, well, but you're going to do a really bad job and you really don't feel like doing it. And it's like, well, do a bad job and do it anyways. Well, but, and there's a little bit back and forth. And eventually I say to myself, well, feel horrible and get on the call. Like, what's the big deal? And yep. I get on the call and then I instantly feel a little bit better mm-hmm. right? because I kept to my word and I did something although I didn't feel like it. And once I hang up the call, I feel a lot better. I'm like, what else do I want to do today that I didn't feel like it? And then it turns that bad moment in the morning and turns into a great day and a great week. So these horrible moments are now turning into really great, great moments. This internal mantra has really made a big difference. I call it like emotional alchemy, taking a shitty emotion and turning it into gold. And for the past two years, I used to have bad weeks, like regularly. And for the past two, three years... You know, I had bad mornings, like maybe for an hour or two, but I I don't have bad days and I don't have bad weeks anymore. So that's been the biggest kind of turning point. And it's something that I don't think everybody like it just clicked and worked for me. I I feel like some people could do this or replicate the results, but Mm. not everybody. But this was definitely my turning point. Uh, It has made a huge difference. It's funny, you know, if if someone told me that I was going to have uh, a self-described sales guru on the podcast and we were going to talk, you know, two-thirds <laughs> of it's going to be about emotions, uh, yeah. I, I wouldn't have believed it. Uh, but here we go. are. Here we are. You know what? I, I also resisted. This is another good point. I resisted the sales guru branding yeah. for a while because I felt I'm more than that, right? And I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a CEO. I'm somebody who cares about people. I'm a teacher. I'm, a, I'm not just a sales dude. But then at some point, I went, you know what? It's it's tough to explain to people everything you are. The thing you're the biggest expert in is sales, and sales is a way for you to help people and to make things happen in the universe. 
there's no sense in fighting things. Just embrace it. Again, I think this is a formula that I have is like whenever I resist things and I push back on them, and this is also with customers, whenever they bring you objections, every customer is always asking you about security and you don't have good answers to that. So every time somebody asks that question, you duck and you go, ah, God, another person that needs to ask me this stupid question about security. Whenever you fight reality, you suffer. Hmm. So you truly have to learn to embrace it. If everybody asks you about security, how can we make this part of the sales process? How can I make this part of the product? How can I make this part of the conversation? Maybe I start the conversation and go, you know what? Before you ask anything, I'm pretty sure that security is on top of your mind. Let me tell you why we have not done X, Y, Z yet and why it may be not matter as much, right? Mm-hmm. And let's come out of the bed and embrace it, make it part of what we do versus hiding from it. And then it happens every day and we suffer. So I think that uh, whenever you, you push back on reality, it hurts. And whenever you embrace it, uh, there's big opportunities waiting. Hmm. All right. I got, I got a different kind of question. All right. Let's, uh, switch, let's switch lanes. <laughs> this, is, this is not your first interview by far. Yes. Uh, what do you wish interviewers asked you that they don't? Hmm. Um, I don't know. Uh, I don't know if I have that uh, ready. I think it's an interesting question to ask. But because, yes, I've given, I'm, I'm doing lots of interviews, but I'm also, you know, in one way or another, I'm a professional communicator, right? Doesn't matter as a CEO, as a salesperson, as a teacher, I see myself at a core as a communicator that constantly works on the craft of communicating. So because of that, I don't tend to go into the interviews. I do have things I want to share. Uh, so when I go into interviews, usually I find a way to share them. Um, so it's 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 rare that I'm like, ah, why is nobody asking me this question that I'm dying to answer? You know, and, and I'm teaching people, you know, a, a PR mover when you see politicians, some of them are great at like, you ask one question, you go, how are you going to deal with climate change? And they go, that's an interesting question. But even more important is how do we stop terrorism? Right. right. It's just, they just they just move the conversation wherever they want to move yeah. it. So not to say that I have to do that oftentimes. And it's funny, a lot of people that interview me interview me because of sales questions. But then a lot of times we go into these different directions and and these interviewers are curious people. So they're, they're, they're going with it. So I don't know. I don't know if I have an, a question that nobody has ever asked me that I'd love. I think that, the, I, I, think that I have to be surprised by that. It's, there's definitely nothing that I have in top of my mind that I'm like, why isn't somebody asking me this question? Do you have any uh, hidden passions that most people don't know about? Um, yes. You know what? That's a weakness of mine. I do. Th- I do have a, a lot of my personal life. I'm this weird, not, not maybe not that weird, but I'm weird in a way where I share a ton in certain areas. I'm feeling very comfortable to be vulnerable. And in others, I share nothing. Uh-huh. Like maybe because I'm not comfortable being vulnerable there. Right. So I'm not like big on sharing like my hobbies. I'm not big on sharing things about I have two little baby boys, like a not baby boys anymore, but a three-year-old and 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 a 19-month-old have two little boys. And I don't share lots of pictures and lots of stories about them on social media. Mm-hmm. But um uh, one recent so so you know, one recent uh passion I'm getting into, and I'm not comfortable talking about, so I'll share it here. And I haven't said it anywhere, I think, is um I'm really getting into martial arts. So you know, even in general, like a year ago, I've not had set foot in a gym in my life. I'd never played any sports in my life. I was never really doing anything for my health or fitness. And I kind of got away with it because I had good genes. I never, I was always, you know, never super struggling with anything health related. Um, so just recently I got into it and I really got into at first kickboxing and now I'm getting into Brazilian jiu-jitsu and I start like really reading up on books on all the great fighters and really going – I'm an obsessive personality. So now I'm like really obsessing over martial arts and really studying it 
and enjoying going into an environment where I'm a beginner again, mm -hmm. enjoying getting my ass kicked by like a 14-year-old kid, mm -hmm. uh, enjoying to, to be humble and not be an expert, not be special, not be awesome, mm -hmm. um, and enjoying like what I realize in, in martial arts and in sports is that that's an area – like in, in, in the emotional side of things, the entrepreneurship side of things and sales, I've – learn to push myself beyond my pain so I'm comfortable at areas like when people describe that comfort zone it seems laughable to me like mm. it's hard not to be arrogant about it and go that's what you're afraid of fucking call right mm. what's the problem like uh, that's my reaction to things right mm. um, but now that I do this physical stuff yeah I realize that when I'm alone I stop way too early because my comfort zone is so small mm. and when I have somebody push me and train me I realize Holy shit, I mm. could do three times the amount I think I can. It's really painful, but I can. Mm -hmm. And here's an area where my comfort zone is just super limited. Mm. And it just helps me be more humble when I interact with people in other areas where I'm an expert in. Totally, totally. Um, so so this is something I'm getting like I'm getting slightly too obsessed about right now. I'm really getting too much into it. I have to tell myself to slow down a little bit. But it's a passion, a passion that I'm just developing. Nice. I, I appreciate you sharing that. And uh, I actually, I, I can empathize very strongly because I, so I did a charity boxing match this year. Oh, wow. uh, so I signed up for my first fight, raised a bunch of money, and then had a, a big fight in front of a bunch of people. And so oh, like was, was in your same position of, you know, feeling scared and like working insanely hard and like, you know, having a, you know, physical demands on me that it, like were just way beyond anything that I've done before. Uh, and it's, it's, it is amazing to go be a beginner again and to be, you know, and to really, really really suck at something oh yeah uh, it's it's a kind of an awesome experience that's that's incredible uh it's incredible that there's like i had never heard of like a charity boxing match before but it totally makes sense now that i hear it and i asked myself if it would ever go into a real fight and if that's interesting enough of a challenge to do and all that so this sounds like a a, a very worthwhile uh reason to do it um but yeah awesome well i mean so in terms of motivation knowing that you're gonna have this fight in front of all these people and your family and your friends and all that like i trained like crazy like i've never worked that hard uh yeah. and so it's it helped a lot like all all the training i was doing was you know like double the intensity of what i could probably have done if i were if i didn't have this specific goal that's awesome uh, so there's something something too committing to doing it in public i think absolutely yeah it's something putting yourself out there right and, and checking your ego just the other day like last week like even simple things. This is even more painful. Like I just started with Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu a few weeks ago. Kickboxing I've been doing for, I don't know, almost a year now. And there's some like super simple exercise to warm up that has to do with some roll where you don't use your hands. You roll weirdly over the head or something. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't figure out how to do it. And literally the guy was giving me like instructions and I was – and I was like, I don't understand any word, but I'll still – I'll do something with my body and see if I can get it. And like there's there's these kids and they're all looking at me. They're all smiling, not because they're laughing at me. They're probably empathizing with like not knowing how to do this. But I had, there was a moment where I had to make a decision. How much longer do I keep the class waiting mm. because I feel slightly dis like uncomfortable with this? Or am I like that's not my call to make. I don't have to worry about the class that – Teacher will tell me what to do or not to do. I'll just need to improve here. Mm -hmm. And like those little inner dialogues are where I go, oh, awesome. See, here's the moment where ego shows up mm. and you have to conquer it in a way that's new again to you yeah. because you've gotten used to conquering it in this other area. I think it's a beautiful thing. It's super humbling. Um, and I'm learning a lot. It's, it's, it's great. Awesome. Perfect. Well, I think that's a, a really good place to stop then. There you go. Yeah, this has been a, a great chat. I appreciate you uh, swinging by. 
virtually. Hey, I appreciate, I, I appreciate the, the very thoughtful questions. I, I, I love that. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. Uh, so close.io is the site if you want to check it out. Do you want to do a quick plug for that before we head out? Like, who's yeah, it I mean, for? If you, that's a great question. So if you do, um, if you do inside sales, which means you're selling primarily through calling people and sending emails and you do that a lot, we're probably the best CRM in the world for that. Uh, so check it out. Um, even if you don't, if you're very early in your entrepreneurial career or your business, go to blog.close.io. We publish two to three blog posts. There's a lot of knowledge about as a first time founder, how to do sales, how to think about that. Check that out. And then if you have a question, if you have a problem, an issue, just shoot me an email, steli, S-T-E-L-I, at close.io. Always happy to help other entrepreneurs along the way. Hmm. And since you love great podcasts, I'll plug the podcast as well. Heaton Shah, who is an amazing entrepreneur, marketing genius, and co-founder of Crazy Egg and Kissmetrics, he and I do a podcast called The Startup Chat. You can go to thestartupchat.com to check it out twice a week. And we talk about very tactical stuff like sales and marketing, but we also talk about how the deaths of our parents at a young age affected us as entrepreneurs, what we've learned from our kids about entrepreneurship, and all kinds of other wacky topics. So if you enjoyed listening to some of my answers, you might enjoy the podcast. Awesome. Something that popped in my head as you were talking, as you gave your email address, was uh, I get cold emails from people sometimes. And one of the cardinal sins, I think, is being really long-winded. When oh, people, yeah. So uh, uh, if you're going to email Steli, be brief, right? If you're going to email anybody that you don't know, or, or just ever, just be brief. Please be brief. Being brief means you respect my time and your own. You know, uh, the, the, the other thing that I, that, that I often say is if there's really no way for you to be brief, you better be amazing at formatting things. Like mm. make it easy for me to skim and scan, have subject lines, use bold, use bullet points so I can screen through your email really quickly and pick and choose what I need to read. Because I'm quick. I'm having, you know, I'm getting tons of email every day. So I'm good at fast reading. If you write me a, two pages, non-formatted, the fa- that's the fastest way for me to delete your email. Mm-hmm. And I go, this is somebody that doesn't respect my time and I want to help, but I can't help everybody. So delete. So you're absolutely right. When you send an email, send it short. If you can positively send it short, format the f- out of it. So it's easy for the reader to pick and choose and, and go through through your email really quickly. Awesome. Perfect. All right, let's leave it there. Uh, Today's show was produced and edited by Tom Obarski. If you'd like to access the show notes for this episode, you can go to giantrobots.fm slash 171. Thanks for listening.